Welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. Everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, welcome back, guys. We are getting close to landing our Sermon on the Mount series entitled The Countercultural Kingdom. In this sermon, is entitled Identifying False Teachers, and you can find that text in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Let me go ahead and read that for you as we jump in. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The preaching point uh, from this text is that for us, knowing false teachers exist today should put every believer on high alert to inspect the teaching and lifestyles of those who claim to speak on God's behalf. And the three teaching points we derived from the preaching point of the text is, number one, we need to be aware of their existence. We need to know that they're there. We need to know that it's not just some some truth uh, that was good for the past, but it's something that is very evident here in the day that we live. Number two, we don't just need to be aware that they exist, but we need to be watchful for their presence. We need to recognize that they're around and they're a kind of uh, deceptive people that we need to have our eyes and ears uh, ready and in tuned to uh, do what point number three says, to identify them. We need to know how to identify them. And I think the text does a really good job as Jesus describes the kinds of, uh, like I said in the sermon, the ontology, the existence, the nature of a false prophet is the fact that it may be dressed like a sheep, but it's a wolf. And so it's going to... Uh, It's going to exhibit fruit indicative of a predator. Uh, We'll recognize them by their fruits. We can look at a thorn bush and we can uh, expect to see thorns. We're not going to look and think that we're going to grab some grapes from a thorn bush, nor are we going to look at thistles and think we could grab a fig. And so although there can be some kind of similarities in uh, a false teacher and and a teacher of God's word who is true, you're going to recognize by their fruit, by what they teach and in, in their lifestyle that accords with sound doctrine, particularly as it is concerned with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you're going to be able to recognize uh, the kinds of teachers that live according to the Sermon on the Mount and those who, even if they claim to, have lives that are not indicative or reflective of the truths found in Scripture because for for 99.9999% of them, they do not have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they're not saved, but even the point zero 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 one percent who might be saved, uh, even those people, if you preach falsely in ignorance, you're still preaching falsely, and so that's something to recognize for them as well. Uh, you'll recognize them by their fruit, because although that there may be those out there uh, who could be saved, uh, the Scripture teaches us in First Timothy three and Titus one that they also ought to know how to teach what accords to sound doctrine and be able to refute those who oppose it. And so even somebody who is saved, who may be in the pastorate, who cannot teach correct doctrine and refute those uh, who oppose sound doctrine, 
we could label them as uh, as potential false teachers. Although, again, I want us to be careful with the term false teachers, because as we look at these kinds of terms in the Bible, uh, even here in verse 19, uh, these kind of trees or these false teachers that don't bear good fruit, they're cut down and thrown into the fire. So there's a certain judgment for them to come. Uh, that is quite different than even the saved person who teaches in ignorance. I think the saved person teaching in ignorance could be in a sense entitled, uh, called a false teacher, but not in the same way uh, that an unregenerate person who is a wolf in sheep's clothing who is not redeemed. Uh, I think the difference is you have those who are unregenerate preaching false things, leading people astray, versus you have somebody who's saved, and we'll get into this question a little bit more when we get into our Q&As, but you have these people who may be saved, who are teaching in ignorance, well, they just do not qualify to be pastors, and they are actually preaching in unqualified pulpits, which is a big concern, but something that differs in degrees, and it's something we can get into perhaps as we get into these Q&As, but we need to make sure that we distinguish correctly uh, between false teachers uh, and uh, those who are ignorant of the truth, who we also still need to be aware of, and uh, depending on the circumstance and uh, where this person is, uh, approach them. But there's, there's got to be a distinction there that I think that Scripture demands, because somebody who's teaching in ignorance, who is saved, is still saved. We don't have uh, we don't have indicators, particularly in the New Testament even the Old Testament, the false prophets that are going to end up spending eternity with Christ if they do not turn from their sins and place their faith in Christ. So something to think about. But we still need to know how to identify them. We need to have be discerning, even as we talked about in the text this last week, even as we looked at uh, texts like Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, and Matthew 10, 16. Uh, this very important text to think about our own discernment and the way that we would... Uh, in our lives, discern and uh, approach those who are false teachers. But with that being said, there's quite a few questions, so I'd like to get to them. And so let's just go ahead and jump right in. The first question here is, we see many teachers preaching what appears to be a false gospel in America in our times. However, instead of God shutting down their message, they and their churches prosper immensely. With reference to Jeremiah 28, why does God allow this instrument of confusion in the church and not respond like the example in Jeremiah 28? Could it be to allow the contrast between truth and deception, or is their message not as bad as we think? It's a really good question. I definitely don't think that we should think about the latter as being true. I think uh, even as we read Scripture— we, uh, we should think about the prevalence of false teachers as a fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, even as we looked at Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we see Paul saying that, Timothy, there's coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I mean, there are many uh, texts like this. You see them in Colossians and, and elsewhere. Uh, and I think what we can do instead, as we, th- we think about the uh, biblical testimony of uh, the prevalence of false teachers uh, a- a- and the, the time drawing near for the return of Christ, is we should think about this as uh, a fulfillment of prophecy, that actually what you see is God telling us what is going to happen. God tells us that there is going to be 
Now, there are going to be numbers of false teachers who are going to fill theaters and fill stadiums up with people because there was there's coming a time that we are now in, that, that we have been in even since Christ, that people coming and preaching things that do not accord with sound doctrine, and people who have itching ears or they want to have their ears tickled, they accumulate for themselves these kinds of people. And so I think for a biblically literate person, when you see that there are these churches that are uh, prospering, as you say, immensely, it's a real good indicator that the Bible is true. See, the Bible doesn't just tell us things that are uh, that are good. You know, the, the Bible doesn't just give us a sugar-coated, even a history. I mean, even as we think about the Old Testament, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are hard to swallow and are hard to think about. But the, the wonderful thing about Scripture is it doesn't give us a whitewashed view of the people in the Old Testament, people like David and Solomon, who we want to lift up, but we really have a hard time lifting them up because we see so much of the bad. Uh, but yet that's important as we think of the whole biblical testimony because there's one hero in the Bible, and his name is God, and it's through his son, Christ, that we have ultimate victory. And so I think here we can look at our day and say we're looking for that ultimate victory in Christ as he's going to come and he's going to redeem all things. And he's going to bring the, the perfect doctrine to earth through his life and through his rule and through his reign. And until then, you're going to see, even as scripture prophesied, uh, the fulfillment of false teachers uh, seeming as if they are going to... Uh, that they're profiting and they're going to be prospering in, in this age up until the age to come when Christ comes and makes things uh, right as he reigns here and then ultimately uh, conquers Satan and all of his schemes and brings a new heaven and a new earth to bear. And so I should, don't think we should be too concerned uh, of... Uh, uh, to be too concerned about how am I going to understand this or this is confusing. I don't think it's confusing. I think that it is just very clearly stated in Scripture that this is going to happen. And so if there weren't giant churches of false teachers, then I'd be questioning, well, why does the Bible say that? But I don't have to do that because I'll look around and see, ooh, okay, the Bible says this is going to happen, and voila, here it is. So I think it's a really uh, wonderful confirmation of the uh, veracity of Scripture because we see exactly what the Bible tells us we're going to see. Good question. The second question is, is can you please name some false movements that teach false gospels that are prevalent today that we need to look out for? Can you also explain in more detail what they are about and their false teachings? Well, I think that's a really uh, that's a really lengthy question, particularly in the way that I would need to explain that. But I do have a breakout session that I taught at the uh, Nationally Equipped Conference a couple of years ago in Boise, Idaho, on uh, twisting scripture and false uh, false teachers and uh, cults and how they uh, they twist scripture to. Uh, follow false gospels. And so I think if you look up the National Equip Conference and uh, you go down to teachings, there's a breakout session there that I do that's called uh, Twisting Scripture. I think that could be a good resource for you uh, to think about uh, that will go into more details about different uh, different movements. Think about the Church of Christian Science with Ellen G. White, uh, which is that it's a classic cult movement uh, movement because you have uh, both the teaching 
of the scriptures because they, they will affirm those. And then they have an, another document, uh, which is the teachings of Ellen G. White, and which is subtitled under that, the, the key to understanding the Bible. And so they're going to say that you can't really understand the Bible unless you understand the prophetess of, of Ellen G. White. And so that's a really good one, the Church of Christian Science. Obviously, the Mormon Church uh, that denies the deity of Christ, says that uh, Satan is a brother of Jesus, and you know, you're going to see that's a false gospel, obviously. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, among other well-known uh, false movements uh, that came out of the Second Great Awakening. Uh, but others, you got, I mean, even ones in our day, the prosperity gospel, it's a big one, right? It really, it's about having enough faith to manifest uh, the things that you want to see, whether that's healing or financial gain um, or, or whatever it is that you, that you want. You just need to believe uh, and you need to trust that God's going to give that to you, and that's really what it's all about. Really, salvation is really what can be different today and not really thinking about the eschatological realities of salvation and God's plan for redemption. Uh, there are other ones, the social gospel, and this is one that it, in degrees has infiltrated into the churches of this idea that my job is to go out there uh, and uh, in particular, you think of the Marxist movement where you get this idea of the social gospel is there's always the oppressed and there's the oppressor, and the job of the church somehow has become uh, to be uh, justice warriors and try to find the oppressed and the oppressor and try to make that right. And, and they quote text of Scripture that says that we need to go and we need to break the bonds of the captives, and we need to uh, give justice and, and those kind of things. But what they do is they they go up, they go about these things. Uh, well, particularly they don't they don't have a good uh, hermeneutic even as they're thinking about uh, what the Old Testament says. Particularly as it's talking about national Israel, and as that that government has become corrupt, um, and how they're calling for national justice because of the injustice that's going on. But it's a whole other thing. I mean, we can still say as Orthodox Christians, that there should be an equity an equity and a justice built into the local church, which there is, but they're going to say that's really the job of the church. We need to, we need to go out there and we need to fix all the problems of the world, and we're going to say, well, not so fast, because the Bible tells me things are going to go from bad to worse, and the best thing that we can do, the most just thing and equitable thing that we can do is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the social gospel is going to try to move us away from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and towards uh, being uh, towards social movements that are going to, in somehow, in some way, uh, create more equitable culture, which we know is not going to happen uh, in in the way that uh, people would hope until Christ. And even then, uh, that equity and that peace is going to come not only just for salvation for God's elect, but also for destruction and judgment for those who rejected Christ. There are a lot more than that, but I think those may be some helpful uh, helpful tidbits to get you started, even in, as you think more and study more into some false movements that we deal with today. Uh, the third question is, if a person's position in Christ is secured by putting their full faith in him for salvation and living for him daily according to the word, how can one be carried away by the error of law of the lawless or fall from their uh, secure position as stated in second peter 3 17 uh, and so yeah okay this is a good question i think uh there's a, a number of ways to answer this um, uh, let's see 
Yeah, uh, I'll read the verse, 2 Peter 3, 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so, I mean, there's a lot of ways to answer this, right? We're not, we're not talking about eternal security here. Uh, we're going to say that there are people who are saved who are very, very misled by the error of lawless people and the error of false teachers. And so when you even, even the quote here, fall from your secure position, what I mean from Second Peter 3.17, we're saying, hey, you were just swept away uh, by the, the current of our day, uh, that you are swept away by myths and in, endless genealogies and uh, by the vain philosophies of others. What, what we're really saying here is you've really gone away from trusting God's word to give you the truth, and you've fallen under... Uh, the influence of false teachers, and therefore, uh, even as J- the book of James says, you're carried away by every wind of doctrine. And so, you know, the, we're saying there's these false doctrines out there, and you're being tossed to and fro, and you're unstable in all your ways. And so there's a real way that even the person who is secure in their justification, that is going to have such a rough life of sanctification because they find themselves being rooted in places with false teaching, which is just going to be a life of uh, of a lot of hardships, a, a lot of conviction of the Holy Spirit, and really, I, I think there's a lot of just concern for even their own salvation in their cells because they're gonna not they're gonna have the Holy Spirit that is in them, and they're gonna be convicted about all these things, and they're gonna be hearing things, they're gonna be hearing false teaching, and they may have some sprinkling some good teaching here and there, and they're just never really gonna make be able to make heads or tails of what's really happening in their life. And you see that in our culture in this day. But of course, there are others, which isn't included in Second Peter 3, 17, who aren't saved, who think they are because they sit under false teaching. So I think they're going to be carried away into the error, error of lawlessness leading to eternal destruction. But you don't even have to get to the place of eternal destruction there in Second Peter 3.17 to suggest that there are even going to be people who are saved, who are going to be misled by false teachers, and their lives are going to, uh, in, in a lot of ways, reap the consequences of sitting under false teachers that doesn't end in eternal death, but does end, that, that does uh, also uh, come with it a very difficult life of sanctification and trying to live for the Lord when you don't have the meat of God's Word, even as we talked about on Sunday. Good question. Uh, next question is Titus 1, 5 through 11, talks about qualifications for elders and pastors, including having faithful children. I know a well, a well known pastor who has faithful children, except for one child who claimed to be a believer but now recently came out as gay and has denounced the church. The pastor does not, capital N, capital O, capital T, support this behavior. According to this verse, does this mean he is disqualified for ministry now? Should he step down? and quit his ministry because of that? Well, that is a question that has been asked um, so many times throughout history. And, and there's something to understand about that text that has to cause us a little bit of uh, hesitancy to uh, outright claim that he ha- he's disqualified from ministry because um, this is what the text says, right? Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, okay? And so there, there's this, the word there, believers, but then you have a footnote, if you have a Bible that has your little, little footnotes, and it says, or are faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordinate. So you have two things to think about here. When we say believers, 
we're saying faithful, but faithful are believers, and there are a lot of translations that will say faithful and not believers because this is a hard word to translate, and so you can, there are some translators who say are faithful and others who say believers, and so they're going to ask, well, in, in what way are they faithful? Uh, there, are, uh, Let's see, let me, let me look at 1 Timothy 3 because I think maybe it will also lead us to things. Uh, let me see here. Uh, manage his household well with all... Okay, here's a good one. He must manage in 1 Timothy 3, which is the other text for uh, elders and pastors' qualifications. Verse 4 says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And so we have to ask the question, is the text telling us that all of our children have to be believers, or is the text saying, as those children have been under our roof, that they are faithful and submissive to their parents. And so that's going to be one interpretation. And the other interpretation is, right, your children all have to be believers, and if they're not believers, then you're going to be disqualified from ministry according to the text. And all I'm saying is there are faithful teachers who fall on both sides of those interpretations, and it's not that every interpretation is true, but there just are some texts, and I think you see it there in that footnote, even in verse 6 of Titus 1, that it says, is it believers or is it our faithful? And it, what, what? And faithful to what? Faithful to the teaching of their parents. Faithful to submit to the parents' authority in the home. Uh, and if you look at the if you look at the text, it is really uh, concerned with the home, right? You need to be a husband of one wife. Your children um, need to be, and, it, and your children need to be, however you want to, well, whichever one you want to choose, believers or faithful. And then you see it again in Timothy about being subordinate. Uh, because they're concerned with how a potential pastor is leading his home, uh, because it e- even teaches us that that you know if a man cannot lead his home, how can he lead the household of God? And so, you know, I, I want to be careful. Uh, was saying if an if an adult child has abandoned the faith, does that mean that the pastor is disqualified? Uh, I'm I'm not. I don't have a confidence to say that that's a, that's a definitely going to be the case. Uh, now, if I say, hey, there's there's this guy, he's he wants to be a pastor, but his children are insubordinate, they're under his household, they're in his under his roof, they're not grown adults, and uh, you know they're disobedient and they're open to debauchery and these things. I'm going to say, yeah, that, there's a really clear indicator that that man does not qualify to be an elder or pastor. Uh, but it gets a little it gets a little different. When you have these children who are submissive, they obey their parents while they're in the home, and then after they leave the home and they're out on their own, that you have a situation like this. And I'm going to say there are, there are people who are going to be on both sides of this, and I just want to be careful uh, in that particular area to say you have a grown child out of the house, out from under your roof, and now they're not following the Lord, but they were submissive and obedient under the roof of your home. Uh, that would actually indicate to me uh, that there is some kind of authority that the child submitted to under the home, which is indicative of uh, of a faithful male leader who could qualify as a pastor. But there was others who also would say things like, well, if they were faithful enough, they would have preached the gospel and led their child to Christ. But then you get into uh, election and calling and God's sovereignty and salvation. And so what we're just going to say is, hey, I think that... Uh, we're going to have a hard time getting to a consensus on uh, adult children who are open to debauchery and they're denouncing the church after they have left the roof of their parents. So, so that's uh, there's a lot of areas where that's very clear, right? In the home, 
open to debauchery, denouncing the church, being unfaithful and ungodly. That's an easy, uh, that's an easy understanding of Titus 1, 5 through 11 that I'm going to say, yeah, that, that man's disqualified or unqualified versus an adult child who's uh, living now in open sin outside of the home of the pastor. I'm going to have a hard time uh, I'm going to have a hard time saying, yeah, he's disqualified as well. But that's a really good question, and uh, that is a question that people are asking, and uh, even faithful teachers of the Bible even have to ask and come to a decision on that, how they're going to apply that in the local church. Uh, here's, an, here's a really good question, too. Uh, c- can we therefore say that all women preachers are false teachers? That's one of the questions we got. Based on Titus 1, 5 through 11, you know, since women cannot teach or uh, since women cannot teach men or exercise authority over them, uh, does that mean that all women preachers are false teachers? Well, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I think there's a couple of things that we need to say uh, as we think about this. Uh, we need to distinguish, one, that it isn't that women cannot teach. It says that women cannot teach men or exercise authority over the men. And so, you know, we can't have women teaching women. As a matter of fact, that's Titus 2 tells us that women should be teaching women. Uh, but yeah, when we're thinking about women exercising uh, authority and preaching uh, in mixed company or with men, I think we're getting to, we're, we're at a place that we're out of bounds of biblical orthodoxy. But I think the question here at hand that I'd like to answer more specifically is, are all women preachers false teachers? And so the one of the things that we can say is, there are women preachers who are false teachers. We can say that 100% sure. One of the things that I want us to be careful at, at as we're thinking about are all women preachers false teachers is I don't want to move too quickly uh, to, the, to the women at a local church, if there are women pastors, before I address ungodly men in leadership in those churches. Because we need to be careful as men who are called to lead, that we are putting women in places that we are called biblically not to put them. And so I am more confident and more likely to suggest that you have false teachers who are men in many churches uh, who are putting women in places that the scriptures teach us not to place them. And it shows terrible leadership in church. It shows terrible understanding of the doctrine of headship and uh, male authority and how God has called men to lead and guide and protect women, not put women out in the front uh, in in a place that is not uh, designed for them. And so I'm definitely going to put a strong emphasis on the fact that you go to, if you go to a church that has women pastors, that you do have false teachers and people who uh, do not know and understand scripture uh, and uh, there are going to often be women who are preaching who are false teachers, and we're going to reject the idea that there can be women pastors. Uh, but I want to be careful, too, as a strong male leader, to just go ahead and say, well, it's just all the women, when I think one well, of the big problem here is you have m- men who are putting women in these positions because they themselves are not upholding the office of pastor biblically, and so I just I want to be careful with that because as a as a man who wants to protect uh, and and care for the women uh, in in our churches, I want to make sure that are, are we really calling out the right kind of people here? I know we need to call out the men because if men are exercising their rightful leadership, you're not going to have women 
uh, women pastors. But I will also just say that there are also women pastors who are false teachers. And so we can't just look up there um, and say, well, it must be the men. There's also a lot of women who are false teachers. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have one of my, uh, I have a grandmother who isn't a Christian who uh, gave me a lot of resources. Uh, she's not a Christian, but she listens to things about Christianity, and she sent me a whole bunch of. Uh, I, I went to her house, and she gave me a whole bunch of Joyce Meyer content. And she says, "Hey, I, uh, you know, I'm done with all this. Do you think you, your church could use this, or you can, you know, give it to anybody who might need it?" And I said, "You know, Grandma, give me that. I'll take that." And uh, I walked out, put it in my car. I got home. I threw it all in the trash. Okay, so uh, I think it is important for you uh, to understand there are women who are false teachers. Uh, but it's important for us to recognize if a church is functioning properly, it's going to have males and men who are called and qualified uh, keeping things like that from happening. And so I hope that helps. I just want us to be careful, uh, you know, with, with how we're going to talk about women, particularly those who are thrust into positions because there are ungodly male teachers saying, oh, that's okay, go ahead and do that, when we're going to say, no, you need to be a good, godly pastor and say that we're not going to do that even if culture wants to wants us to capitulate to things that the scripture tells us to completely reject could i be stronger on that i i can and you know i guarantee i know that as i give the benefit of the doubt to some women uh who are doing that if you if you read scripture you're going to recognize and a literal interpretation of scripture applied to our life is going to reject the idea of women teachers and so i just pray that uh, women who are misled by men uh, male pastors or actual what a pastor is is a male then I would just pray that they would uh, have their eyes open to discern the fact that regardless if uh, uh, probably an unqualified pastor told you you could do this the scripture tells us that we can't and so just pray for them to to open their eyes to the truth of scripture and uh, submit to its teachings about uh, design male and female and the way God has designed leadership in the church. Uh, two more questions. Uh, one says, uh, I know there are pastors on the internet who have identified false teachers. I noticed that you didn't mention any names. Is it or is it not appropriate to do that? If not, how do we protect one another? Well, yeah, the, there is not uh, a problem with calling out false teachers by name. I think there's actually biblical uh, rationale to do that. However, in the sermon, uh, I didn't feel that it was necessary for me to spend time calling out names when I'm calling out the principles of how we can discern who is and isn't a false teacher. Nor did I want to cause any kind of distraction by getting people to be thinking about the kinds of people that I was naming. And so I just thought it would be prudent for me in this sermon, the first time that we're really talking in the text about false teachers, to talk about how we can identify false teachers. Because if we can teach well how to identify a false teacher, we can look out there and we can definitely point them out. Uh, it's kind of akin to the the proverb uh, that you hear in the world. Uh, you know, it's better to teach a man how to fish than give a man a fish. And uh, I, I would rather teach us how to identify false teachers than just identifying all the false teachers. Um, not that I'm not willing to do that. And we, we as a matter of fact, uh, we we tend to do that quite a bit as we're helping people find churches and, you know, guiding people away from the kinds of prosperity gospels and social gospels that are prevalent in our culture today. All right, last question. If a church incorporates the prosperity gospel message during offering, does that alone discredit the church as having false prophet teachings? 
Well, here's something to think about. If it is an actual prosperity-driven uh, uh, message during offering, I think that you could, uh, I think you could pretty well discern that that is a teaching that that church holds to. My caution as a pastor to you would be to make sure that you can define and understand what the prosperity gospel is, uh, because if we're saying uh, that God calls us to give Him our finances, and God also says that he's going to take care of your needs as you seek first the kingdom of heaven. Is that a prosperity gospel? No, that's part of the biblical message that we have. Now, if they're saying, hey, if you give money, God's going to give you uh, God's going to give you all the things that you've been wanted. Or you sow a seed of $1,000 and God's going to turn it into $10,000. Yeah, I mean, you see things like that. I think that's just going to be indicative of uh, the doctrine of that church. And even if you haven't heard it explicitly from the pulpit, you often see churches who align with the prosperity gospel, uh, even if you don't hear it explicitly out from the pulpit, which you probably will if you stay long enough, you'll hear it coming out in other places like during the offering uh Again, you just need to make sure, do you understand what the prosperity gospel is, and is that person actually uh, actually giving uh, t- talking points during the offering of prosperity tenets uh, of, their, of their doctrine? And so, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you hear somebody giving the prosperity message during an offering, I think that's pretty indicative of the church's uh, false teaching, and it would be great not to spend time at a church like that. I would encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church. Wow, those were some really, really, really good questions. I loved them, and I hope that they were helpful for some of you guys, and I hope, I hope as, you know, as I answered them uh, as faithful uh, as I can while also being discerning uh, and uh, also, you know, trying to be as charitable as possible when necessary, but also as bold, kind of like what Scripture teaches us there uh, in, in Matthew uh, 10, 16, that I want to be a wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. And I want to call out false teachers for who they are, but I don't want to be one of those people who are vigilantes or calling people false teachers just because I don't necessarily like a position that they hold. And I talked a little bit about that to our life group leaders in their podcast of thinking about really good teachers, people like that you like, that you probably listen to, like R.C. Sproul. Like, you know, we don't hold a lot of positions R.C. Sproul had. I mean, if you listen to John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, you recognize that they disagree on a whole lot of things. And just because I disagree with some of his teaching doesn't mean that I call him a false teacher. So I got to recognize what it means to be a false teacher what kind of doctrine falls in the line of false teaching and what falls in the line of Christian orthodoxy where Bible-believing Christians can have different positions on certain things, particularly things like eschatology um, and uh, even uh, yeah, things like that, I think, are, are really matters of, uh, of charity, although that we're going to take convictional positions on those kind of things that we ourselves aren't going to look at somebody who may be a uh, post-millennial or an, an all-millennial and, and call them false teachers. I think that's an area necessary for charity. But we start thinking about things like the person and work of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Christ, uh, the, the triune nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the prosperity gospel, the social gospel. You start getting into those areas, and we're going to say, no, that's a false gospel, and it's a gospel contrary to that which has been given us in Scripture. And uh, the, Paul says that we want the, we, we want to say those people are going to be accursed for the fact that they would preach a gospel contrary to that which is found in Scripture. So, anyway, hope that uh, I hope that's helpful for for you guys. Uh, I'd love to uh, as we end go over some announcements. We have our women's breakfast on October the twenty eighth. That is this Saturday from nine a.m. to eleven a.m. 
would love to see all of you gals there in fellowship together as Kayla uh, opens up the Word and teaches you gals on uh, the providence of God, the immutability or the unchanging nature of God, uh, and uh, trusting and finding joy in God's redemptive plan for humanity as you look at James chapter 1. We have a prayer night the very next night. I want to call everybody at church to be there with us from 5 to 6.30 p.m. to pray to God, to beseech uh, God on the behalf of our congregation that God would do things that only He can do. Uh, We also have our final exploring compass of this year on November the 12th and the 19th. So if you have not registered and you're listening to this or you know somebody who needs to register, I want to compel you to uh, call them to register for our Exploring Compass classes filling up really quickly, but we want as many people as possible who are regenerate and who want to follow, uh, who want to follow uh, the leadership of our church, who want to serve God faithfully to uh, to be a part of our church running the race. So, we'd love for you to have them uh, register today. We have a lot of events coming up as it's getting close to Christmas, so we just want to you to keep your eyes out uh, and your ears open for some events we have coming up, like our Women's Christmas Coffee, our Christmas Celebration, our our Kids' Christmas Choir, our Serve Team Celebration, among other things. We're going to get those details out to you soon, but be on the lookout and have your calendars ready for some really special events that we have coming up in the next couple of months. All right, Compass, I love you guys. I'm grateful for you. I pray that this podcast is helpful for you as you discern and as you are growing in your faith. We'll see you next week.